Hi, everybody. Welcome back on Into Buff Nagel, the podcast. I'm Zach. As always, I'm joined by Rafe. Rafe, how are we doing today? Hey, Zach, I am fantastic. Uh, another wonderful weekend, another Sunday evening, and um, getting to chat with you is a, is, is a high point of my weekend. And here we are again. So, so I'm doing great. There we go. Good to hear. Good to hear. So uh, we got, you know, only we're going to cover various different things today, bringing in some science experts from the science expert bubble that we know of. So uh, Rafe, would you like to introduce our big brain science head today? I, I, I Yes, I will. Our big brain science head is, is your older brother, Harry, coming to us live from uh, warm and cheerful Fayetteville, North Carolina. And um, we brought Harry in because we're going to be um, we're going to be discussing GPS, the Global Positioning Satellite System, and uh, Harry seems to know things about GPS and navigation and aviation. So we're gonna, I'm gonna talk about GPS because we got some positive reviews about our discussion of time zones and, and time travel, and and time travel, and uh, nothing says time zones and time travel and positions. And time on planet Earth, to me, quite like the GPS system. And I maintain, um, and you've heard me rant on this over the years, Zach, uh, it, I, I maintain that the, the GPS system is, is mankind's greatest engineering feat. Um, there are a lot of great engineering feats. If you ever watched the movie of the arch getting built in St. Louis, awesome. Uh, if you walked the Golden Gate Bridge, awesome. If you've watched the Apollo missions, super awesome. But the GPS is off the charts and it is this, um, it's this system now that has become ubiquitous and we use it every day to do whatever we're doing, including maybe just going to the mall to um, buy cat food or whatever it is you get at the mall. So I'm going to talk a little bit about GPS. Um, Harry, you want to just say hi and uh, introduce yourself a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's been great to be invited to the podcast and finally get on episode, I think, five or six now. Is that right? Yeah, I think it is five or six. What's really nice is it's uh, is we've done so many. We are, <laughs> we are no You've longer. You've already starting. lost count. That's right. <laughs> lost no, count, so. I, I'm happy to, to be here and, as Zach said, be a big brain guy, um, even though it's been a while since I've really delved into the GPS uh, science talks. All right. Well, that's a, um, okay. My, my GPS, uh, my, my, my love of the GPS starts with a, a trip I made going to France. One year I was at the bookstore in North Carolina at the airport needing a book to read. And I grabbed this book off the shelf and I don't know if any of you read this. I don't know how um, to read. This is so. a book by Nick. Well, well, you can't. Really, are you reading now? I have right? my moments. It's, all right. So uh, a book by Peter Gallison entitled Einstein's Clocks and Poincare's Maps, Empires of Time. That's right. You've read about this book for ages. This is – and the corners are all bent up, and it's got marks all over the place, and it's been around the block a number of times. But I read this. What was that? It has a character now. It, it is – um. It is the kind of thing that you can give to your kids, but I haven't given it to you guys yet. So in case anybody cares, Poincaré was the last great physicist to believe in the ether, which is this magical mystery of stuff that fills the void of space. The idea is they thought that things couldn't move without something through which to move. 
And the nine cents is, ah, forget about that. Everything's relative. And, and there you go. So this, this book discusses the global synchronization of time. And that's one reason I, I discussed some of the longitude and time zone stuff a couple weeks ago. And uh, this book has a little discussion of, of the GPS. And for those of you who, who may not know, the Global Positioning Satellite System is a, is a collection of, of satellites that sit in geosynchronous Earth orbit, um, which means that they sit above a certain point on the globe, and uh, they are always located right over that point. So they form a grid against which you can measure the location of everything on the planet. And um, one thing you'll learn when you start thinking about physics and flight and space travel is that orbits are not determined by how high you are. Orbits are determined by how fast you can go. So I, um, I typically, I typically um, claim that this chair I'm sitting in is just a very, uh, a very low tech, very low orbit geosynchronous uh, orbital device. All right, it keeps me in the same position orbiting about about 20 inches off the ground. Um, but what happens is I'm actually moving really, really fast. If you want to orbit the planet without sitting still in a chair, you have to go fast, okay? So in, in, the, uh, in the 1990s, the US government eventually uh, opened up the GPS system after the Gulf War, opened up the GPS system to the rest of the world. And the GPS machines became available to everybody and they are ubiquitous, as I've said, they're on your phones. And they track where you're going. They help you find uh, find your local ice cream shop, and uh, and and track where people are. Um, if you have multiple people on on the same phone plan, you can download something like and track people wherever they are. What's interesting to me about the GPS system is is the is the details of how it works. Okay, in order to get the precision of the GPS system that that they need to have to do things like landing airplanes remotely and uh, helping you um, navigate through traffic in downtown Atlanta. Y you have to understand how these satellites work. These satellites send signals out all the time. They're constantly broadcasting um, essentially a, a string of random digits. It, um, you could think of it as they are broadcasting the current time on the satellite, but they're just broadcasting this string of digits. It's a very, very, very long string of digits. It's a string of digits that's 6,000 billion digits long, right? 6,000 billion, essentially pseudo random digits. And each satellite is sending out the same signal at the same time, right? But they're sending them on different frequencies so that your little machine in your hand can pick up the different signals from the different satellites. And by measuring how far off from each other those different sequences are, the little machine in your hand can triangulate your position. So if I know I am a certain distance from satellite A and a certain different distance from satellite B, I know that both of those distances create circles or spheres around those satellites. And, and that, that what that does is if I, if I intersect where those things um, where those circles are, that tells me my possibilities of where I'm located. So if I have three satellites, I can determine my position in space. And, um, and that's how the GPS system works. So you, you have, you got to keep in mind what's going on here. You have a satellite that is all 24 of these satellites are first of all in geosynchronous orbit, which is not an easy thing to achieve. 
And the second thing is they are they are spitting out this stream of 6,000 billion digits and the little computer in your hand is measuring where the different streams are, right? Because if you're farther away from satellite A than from satellite B, then the signal from satellite A is going to get there later than the signal from satellite B, right? So they were, so, and they're traveling at the speed of light. So you can do the distance equals rate times time thing, and you can figure out how far you are from the satellites. Harry, do I have, do I have that uh, general principle down? Is that, is that how you understand it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're going to need, you know, the, the more satellites that you have, the more accurate your position becomes, right? Because your receiver is then receiving multiple signals from multiple different sources, and each one of them increases the precision of the location um, as it gets more signals. Right, and and so you can do the math here. If you do the, uh, the 3 times 10 to the 8th meters per second thing for the speed of light, you can figure out how how far apart those little digits have to be for you to get the precision within 15 meters that um, 50 about 50 feet or 15 meters that the GPS system requires but what but what happens okay so so just the fact that you can build the satellites a build the satellites b get them into geosynchronous orbit and then c design a computer that can pick up these radio signals and then do the triangulation in real time given that it's getting 50 billion signals a second something like that just so you can do that, that, that is a great engineering feat. What makes it miraculous in my mind is that, the, um, is that all of this falls apart because the satellites are moving A, really fast, and B, they are living in a very low gravity state way out there in, um, out there in orbit. All right, so if, for those of you who have, have read a little bit of, of relativity, you may know that when you start moving really fast, and we're talking like like really fast, not like like race car fast, and not even like airplane fast. We're talking. We're talking. About, you're using C as part of your measure of yeah, uh, right. Speed. You're using right. So you're you're moving at 0.4 C, 0.8 C, 0.9 C. Right. right. You're moving really fast. What what happens is you um, time slows down. Okay, and and so if you are uh, have a clock that's ticking in an environment that is moving really, really fast, that clock is going to run slow, all right? In order to be in geosynchronous orbit, those, those satellites are something like, I think it's 12,000 miles. No, they're, I'm sorry, they are, I'm looking in the book here, I'm reading this up. They are, they are moving at 12,500 miles an hour, okay? That's a very, very fast rate of speed. Now it's nowhere near 0.8 C, it's, 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 it's even just a minis minuscule fraction of the speed of light. But it is so fast that that the the clocks on those satellites run slow relative to the Earth by seven millionths of a second per day. Okay, so keep that in mind. Seven millionths of a second per day, they are they're being slowed down. So so just that means that those satellites are running slow. All right. And if you want their time to match Earth time, you're gonna have to do an adjustment. Okay. Yep. But it gets more complicated. Right? Because the inverse time thing happens when you go into a low gravitational field. So here I am sitting here in, in um, just outside of Nashville, and gravity is, is trying to pull me down. My floor and my chair are, are pushing me up, and they're balanced out. But gravity is pulling me down um, and is trying to accelerate me downward at 9.8 meters per second per second. 
right? But way out there in space, the gravitational field is very, very weak. And when you're out in a weak gravitational field, um, uh, time speeds up. So if you take those two things, the slowing down due to the velocity and the speeding up due to the low gravity, those two things, they, they cancel each other out a little bit, but not completely, okay? So together, the two, those two corrections come out to 38 millionths or 380,000 billionths of a second per day, okay? That's how far off those satellites are. 38,000 billionths of a second every day they have to, they, they're off, okay? And surely you're going to tell me that that small difference won't mean anything, right? Well, the, uh, what I'm going to tell you is that's actually a huge difference, okay? That's a huge difference because in order to get the GPS satellite thing to run well, um, they, need to, they need it to be accurate within 50 billionths, okay? So you have to be within 50 billionths. And they're off just because of Einstein by 38,000 billionths. Okay, 50, 38,000. All right, and Zach's just waving his hand like, ah, whatever. That's a, right? It's a huge, huge difference. It's, al it's almost three orders of magnitude, right? And that's that's huge. And, and what, what's interesting here is that the engineers built the satellite stuff and they get ready to launch it in the mid 70s. All right. And, and the physicists are sitting in the background saying, dude, if you launch these satellites and they explain all this stuff about time slowing down, time speeding up and, and the engineers scoff at these guys and they say, no, no way, no way. No, we're not, we're not going to do that. that. That's, that's just dumb. That's not going to happen. And, and the, um, and the physicists say, you better trust us or your system's not going to work. All right. So what, what they did is they programmed the, they programmed the satellites to have the time correction built into them, right? But they didn't turn on that programming and they didn't turn it on. And what they did is they launched the satellites and they started running on their own. And, and as soon as they did, they, the satellites started streaming out their little bits and they were doing all they're supposed to, all they were supposed to do. And over the first 24 hours, as predicted, the, um, the satellites ran fast by approximately 38,000 billionths of a second, just, just as, just as it was predicted by the equations. Of course, what else would happen? All right. Right. And after 20 days, here's, here's a quote from the thing. After 20 days of such gains, ground control commanded that the frequency synthesizer be activated and corrected the broadcast signal, which means that after 20 days, if they were like, sorry, dude, we got, we're going to have to turn on the correctizer. All right, and make sure the time gets synced up right because this thing is not working, okay? Without that correction, it would have taken less than two minutes for the GPS system to exceed its allowable error. After a single day, satellites would have been raining down erroneous positions skewed by some six miles onto the earth after a single day. They'd be off by six miles, all right? And then all the things that that rely on GPS back then, cars and bombs and planes and ships would have been... Would have been uh, Rendered, right. rendered impossible. So, so the next time you think that you're going to the wrong building because your GPS told you it was 15 meters off, just be aware that it could be significantly worse. Well, and that points to this other thing. So Harry, we mentioned this with, with artillery that you do, is That's that right. there are little things that are hiding underneath all these equations and making all the technology work. Yeah, so, so more or less, um, this goes upon the determining factor that the North Pole is always moving. 
right? And that's something that has to be factored into geodesic science in the first place. But because the North Pole is always moving, you have to understand that when you're shooting artillery, you need to know exactly which degree that you're on. And because artillery right, so has for, to be even more precise, you use something called milliradians, which is even right, smaller. So, 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 like, so the North Pole where, where, where there are spins, that one stays fixed. But the magnetic North Pole, that one's moving, right? That's right. Magnetic and and it matters because when you, when, you shoot the, when you shoot the artillery shell, the Earth is spinning and there's this Coriolis kind of spinatizing. You need to know, you need to know where North is, right? Right. And what happens is you need to, in order to determine that you are within the correct probability of error, you need to always double and triple check against magnetic north. Okay, wait, wait, for, wait. So how far, does, how far does the magnetic north move? Is it? So that's what I was going off of next. So it's, it's approximately, I think, the last time. I could look it up here real fast. Uh, so we look up magnetic north uh, moving, right? A quick Google search. Um, how fast is it moving? It's moving approximately 35 miles per year. So over the course of 10 years, it can move 350 miles. That's give right. or take. Right. All right. And now, is that is that a lot? Relative uh, that's a to significant difference. Um, let's see. It was 240 mils, so approximately 10 and a half degrees. So, so when you were now, didn't you find this? No, it's just when I was doing my checks uh, against the GPS that we were receiving, I had to make sure that we were in the right spot. And luckily, you know, everything was still, we were still shooting straight. Everything was within error. But, but there, there's a lot of things that go into this, this firing of the artillery shell, where you got like temperature of the barrel and like, right. Like there's longitude and latitude you're at and all there's, there's more than just magnetic North being accounted for. All right, but but those but those things hide underneath, right? And any anybody who did Boy Scouting will recognize that you have to your maps have to uh, you have to know where North is and where Magnetic North is, and you have to understand how far off that um, those things can be. But um, w- when I think about the GPS thing and what it's doing, not only is it are those are those satellites in geosynchronous orbit, but they are um, but they are adjusting time relative to um, well relative to relativity. I find it um, I find it a fascinating piece of um, fascinating piece of engineering. So um, just keep in mind when your GPS is maybe not uh, pointing to the right building, it's probably not the system. It's probably just the map guy underneath. So um, that's right. All right. Anything else on that, Zach? Yeah, I didn't understand any of those words, yeah. but I think I learned the takeaway is math saves lives. Question mark and stamps out, and stamps out disease. Yes, yeah. it does. All right. So, but we wanted to talk about something that we appreciate. Before I do, I want to. I need to take this opportunity. I got I have to. Um, I have to mention, as we always do, you can send us your listener questions. We really appreciate those at buffnagel at buffnagel.com. You can find us on Twitter. We are at buffnagel, and um, so any uh, or you can send an email to um, legal at buffnagel.com in case Zach says something that's going to get us in trouble with the law. That would be uh, that would be helpful. But um, what's coming up for us? Oh, and the last thing. Thank you for listening and thank you for sharing uh, this podcast with friends. We are getting more viewers every week, which is a uh, which is a great thing. Zach, something we always like is uh, zaniness in sports. Chaos, chaos, uh, chaos is a thing we're looking for. And this year's baseball postseason has um, the opportunity for something we we both um, we both long for every year, and that is is what. It- 
a World Series nobody cares about. That's exactly <laughs> right. That is our goal: is a is a World Series that nobody wants to wants to go to. And now we're down to what eight teams? Zach, we're is that right? Down to eight. We just finished up the wild card round. Um, unfortunately, the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds both lost. So there goes that dream scenario. Uh, but we right. still left alive is the Tampa Bay Miami series or the Tampa Bay San Diego series. You know, I or saw that one. Oakland Miami. Yeah, I think. I, okay, so basically, what we're doing is trying to find the matchup that produces the least desirable television matchup. Just the least desirable matchup. <laughs> Television or radio, it doesn't matter. At this, we're just looking for maximize chaos. So, like the St. Louis Cardinals losing, nice. That's that's good. Uh, no, no. Some of us, we for what it's worth, we have some friends that are Cardinals fans, and um, we 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 feel for them, and we feel for our friends who are Cubs fans, or or Brewers fans, or Twins fans, or any of that stuff. But what we're really looking for is a matchup that has probably the least number of fans. Is that is that a good way I to think put so. it? I think. Uh, we had the Houston Astros. No, it was the White Sox Tigers. Was that one a couple years ago? Uh, I think it was the White Sox Astros was one. That's before oh, they no, that's before the Astros. Yeah, so it was White Sox Astros um, in two thousand and six. I want to yeah, say. Well, maybe that was the well. The White Sox were in there too. Were is that the year they won it? Yeah, it was the two thousand six. Um, we're gonna yeah. let our stats guide get to that, but I'm pretty sure it was. Something around the 2006 to 2008 time frame. Um, but it was, I think nobody watched that. And I don't think anyone remembered the fact that the White Sox won a World Series, which makes it yeah, even better. Think, or who right, they so, beat. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? We had oh, the White know. Sox beat the Astros in 2005. 2005. There you go. All right. So, so I got to, if, if you were like, um, who's ever got the World Series this year? Is it Fox, you think? Fox, yep. Yeah, Fox has World Series. They're, they they got to be pushing for Yankees Dodgers, right? I mean, that's there's no question. And and you know the the or, uh, or Yankees Braves. I think that that's maybe Yankees Braves, yeah, because they've had a little thing. But um, so that's probably the top. We could probably rate these. There's um four different. Well, there's like sixteen different matchups here. That's um, too many for us to to to. You know, if we were a real sports podcast, we would take all sixteen of them and, and rate rank them. them. And talk about matchups, right? Or we could just talk about the chaos order of them, which is right, significantly okay. more fun. Well, we okay. can at least rate our, our top three, right? Top three chaos ones? Absolutely. Okay, so so Zach, uh, le- well, let me go first, okay? Because I'm least likely to, to get this one right. So I'm going to have to go with my favorite chaos one. And I want to go Tampa Bay and Miami, but those are both Florida, right? And yeah. that could create... Some some internal tension there. So I'm going to go with my top one is going to be Tampa Bay, San Diego, simply because, I mean, I love San Diego. I've been there. I've been to Tampa once or twice, I think. And I, I know they're lovely places to visit and they are wonderful people. But as far as a base as baseball fandom, um, those are not hotbeds of baseball fandom. And uh, so that's my number one is Tampa Bay, San Diego. Uh, Harry, what do you got? Uh, well, I personally would like to see. Houston against Los Angeles in the World Series. I would love to see Los Angeles win over the Astros and get a little bit of redemption and stick them to the Astros. So you're going for the vengeance factor. I am. uh, If I had to pick a World Series final. But I mean, if we're going absolute chaos, uh, then I think I'd pick the A's and the Padres. Okay. All right. 
Okay, so right. uh, let me get this straight here. You're a fan of a team that was found and accused of cheating, winning two more games just to see them lose. What do you mean by that? Eight more games against far more worthy opponents just so they can lose in the World Series? Uh, sure, why not? I'm not, I'm not in favor of teams that cheat. I am in favor of teams that cheat that get it handed to them. Yeah, so they should lose to the A's of all teams. Uh, the A's. If you're a fan of the Astros and you're going to the World Series and you're up three games to none and the Dodgers come Nobody's back. Nobody's a, a fan of the Astros point. anymore. That's Just the point. how terrible that would feel. So, so for those of you who are not, not diehard sports fans, the uh, Astros last year or two years ago? Every year since 2017. Year, they, um, they, they were known to – they were essentially um, watching pitches, uh, pitch calls, and then signaling to their batters what pitches were likely to be coming by beating a drum, blowing a whistle, all sorts of things. Like they were, were banging in a trash can. Yeah. So they were they were sending verbal signals to the batter, so the batter knew if it was a curveball or slider or a, or a, a what 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 are, what were the ones from back air baseball? The the and, uh, spitball. The super the freeze ball is the zigzag one. <laughs> we can do a no, We can do a whole thing on the backyard sports. And we're going to leave the backyard universe. sports aside. But anyway, the the Astros were essentially cheating, and uh, that ticked everybody off. And then they ended up winning the World Series, right? Yep. Yeah, and that so people are kind of stuck. And Harry wants to see them get their comeuppance. Zach, your turn, and then we're gonna gotta wrap it up. All right. Um, I a big fan of the Tampa Bay. Oh, I'm big fan of Tampa Bay or Oakland, and then San Diego or Miami. Uh, LA can just you know, well they're LA. No, that's so. still four possibilities. You got to narrow it down a bit. I those okay. So those and then they're one through four depending on how you program them out and then done math easy science right. nailed it. <laughs> I I would probably like to see Oakland Miami because when has Oakland ever done anything to contribute right. to society and any. Oh, oh, well, they to society. Don't get me wrong, but we have the Oakland A's as a sports thing. Besides Raleigh fingers and his mustache, there you go. That's what I was going to say. How'd you know that? Because I had a book that somebody gave me when I was a kid that had a picture of Raleigh fingers. I'm like, hey, Dad, I want to be like this when I grow up. You need to work on that mustache, dude. So, all right, all right. Well, that's um, that is the baseball postseason. Uh, that we are looking forward to, and have we started these these division series yet, or we're, we're right on the cusp of them? I believe. Let me confirm. We had games start tonight. Yeah, we have no. My bad. We have games start tomorrow. Uh, All right. So. so next week when we talk to you, will be um, some of those may be finished. There's some sweeps maybe, yeah. but they're going they're going four games. They got to win four, right? Yep. Um, and then it takes about probably eight, yeah. eight days to do a series. Because okay. you can do back-to-backs in baseball. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, um, that is what we got. So let me let me remind everyone, um, Buff Nagel at buffnagel.com. We are at Twitter. I want to thank our special um, – what do we call him? Is this um, – Big Brain thing? Guest of the Week. Big Brain Guest of the Week. That is, that is a great one. So um, so uh, thanks, Harry, for joining us and for doing some uh, – providing your, your – uh, artillery experience and your baseball um opinions and uh thanks for keeping zach helping keep zach in line here i appreciate and, uh, it hey it's in all seriousness man thank you for your service so you and your buddies thank them for us and um we will uh we will see you next week zach anything no i'm out of bad ideas so
Zach's is not a bad idea. All right. Well, we'll talk to you next next week. Uh, this podcast will drop a day late because of technical reasons that uh, if you come and contact us, we will let you know what that is. So um, we'll see you next next week. Have a buff nagel night and uh, be safe, everybody. See you. Bye.